Welcome to episode 30 of Mansi, a podcast about magic and its influence on our culture. In each set of episodes, we cover a different Mansi or method of magic. I'm RJ Walker. I'm a spoken word artist and writer. With me is my co-host, L. I'm L. Alder, a professional psychic and solitary eclectic witch. Of all the methods of divination that are still present today, few are as prolific and widely practiced as the tarot. <laughs> tarot. In fact, L. Tarot cards are one of your most used divination tools, and reading tarot is what got you into psychic work, from what I understand. Yeah, I've um, used tarot since I, like, as a main reading tool since I was, like, 16. One of my friends gave me a tarot deck just randomly, and then I still use tarot now. And I like tarot because I can look at more specific um, circumstances versus, like, Akashic Records and other, like, mediumship and that kind of stuff. You're looking more general, but tarot helps you kind of narrow things down. There's also a specific system for tarot, which I really like, as opposed to oracle cards that don't really have a system. Mm. Uh, so you just, like, got a tarot deck and you were, like, filled with occult power, like Yugi and the Millennium Puzzle? Uh, no one taught me how to read tarot. And then over the years, I have found that the things that I decided that the cards meant were actually the things that the cards meant. So, Oh, well, that's convenient. <laughs> yeah. uh, I think a lot of that has to do with the nature of the illustrations yeah. of, of the the tarot and the, and the fact that tarot is so prolifically used that it seems intuitive to pick up. I think so. I think what's really interesting about tarot, because I teach people how to read tarot, and um, I think it's interesting because people look at tarot cards as though maybe they're playing cards that don't have anything but the the suits on them, right? Like the five spades or whatever. Um, but tarot has pictures, and the pictures kind of inform what you're doing. Pictos. Pictos. Um, and the other thing is, I think that what, what makes tarot really interesting is that it's very accessible, meaning that anyone could walk into a shop, pick up a tarot deck, throw the fucking book away. If you buy a tarot deck, just throw the book away. Just get rid of it offhand. Just do not look at it at all. Um, but then the more you study tarot and the longer you study tarot, the more you find underneath all the layers and i love reading tarot books i love taking classes on different parts of tarot because i feel like it just constantly deepens your understanding tarot is like something that i think basically has become part of the collective um, unconsciousness right mm -hmm. you know and uh you know i i think when we started the this podcast i i felt like tarot was kind of the low-hanging fruit like of course we're gonna start with tarot of course it's gonna be tarot. but i went with cardomancy in general because i wanted to show that there was more than just the tarot out there but this time we're gonna focus on the tarot yeah uh, it is it is time it is season two and it is time. I mean, and I would say, I think also, it seems like low-hanging fruit, but I think that people have no fucking clue about the tarot and the story and all of that. So, yeah, and oh man, did I find some gems. Yeah, Arjun was <laughs> like, what? This isn't as cool as I thought it was. And I was like, yeah, it's, it's never as cool as you think it's going to be. <laughs> Uh, so no doubt Elle knows way more than me when it comes to the tarot, how to read them, how they work, how they've changed over time and how to make them truly effective. I'm sure our audience has noticed that there's three kinds of Mansi episodes. 
There's an ethnography where we talk about the magical practices of an ancient people, kind of like we did with the Irish magic episode, uh, or the magic used by certain societies or groups of people. There's occult science and folklore episodes where we talk about mythology, folktales, or just outright describe the Mansi because it's so weird and specific. All we can do really is to describe it. The the scapula Mansi with yeah. the, the sheep bones. Yeah. Yeah. Like pyromancy was was just that, describing all the different ways to do pyromancy. Um, usually those episodes are for mancies that are, you know, more obscure, that take more time to describe the ins and outs of. The third kind of mancy episode is a biography, where we cover a notable person who used that mancy or a notable object connected to that mancy. Often, these kinds of episodes, you know, they all kind of blend. Yeah. You know, like, the ethnography episode with Irish, ma- Irish magic included some biography stuff, and, like, they all kind of blend, but they lean more towards one aspect or mm-hmm. the other, uh, just depending on what I think that Mansi needs to just get the basics down. Just lay a foundation for each one so that you can explore further, and we can probably explore further in future episodes. Mm-hmm. So, while Elle knows a lot about tarot... This is going to be a biography episode because I'm not going to sit here and tell Elle how the tarot works. That's, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> how does the tarot work, RJ? What's the system? Um, you see cool picture and say, this is what happened. That's exactly the reading you get when you donate to Mansi. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, uh, this is a biography that I have promised to the listeners for a long time. It's a bit intimidating considering how large this individual's shadow looms as he's been mentioned in multiple episodes of Mansi as an influential figure in occultism and spirituality. I'm talking about that greasy motherfucker, Aleister Crowley. (laughs) One of the most influential occultists of all time who still has a large following today. And while some of that following is closed practice, and I tend to shy away from sharing things on the podcast that would be considered a closed practice, Aleister Crowley's biography is pretty well written about as a topic, and information is very available. Mm -hmm. Uh, Not to mention Aleister Crowley himself brought a lot of things out of closed practice and into the public. Yeah, I think it's interesting because we obviously talked about the fact that we could have just talked about um, Aleister Crowley when we did the sex magic episode. We totally could have done that. But again, low hanging fruit. And we don't want to do that. It just feels so lazy. And there's so much with Aleister Crowley besides just sex magic. And I feel like we had to do a sex magic episode first Mm -hmm. in order to do this episode about Aleister Crowley. I think so. I think it's also I think what's interesting is that a lot of people ask me what my opinion is on Aleister Crowley. Crowley. And I have to be honest and say I don't really have one because I think I certainly would not be doing what I'm doing today without Aleister Crowley existing. That would not be happening. I would not have this life if it were not for Aleister yep. Crowley. But, but. <laughs> objectively really terrible and a sexual predator and really just kind of treated everything with no... Like, nothing was sacred. And he, I think, kind of specifically made things not sacred anymore, which I think has its room for the stuff that we do. But also, I feel So, (laughs) when we get into the episode, we'll definitely see. Like, Aleister Crowley had, like, very selective what is sacred and what is not. Yeah. And the things that are sacred serve Aleister Crowley. And the things that are not sacred serve Aleister Crowley. Oh, that's true. Uh, So... 
if if I anything just, becomes not sacred, it's because Aleister Crowley thought it would decided. be good for him yeah. to make it unsacred. And if anything should be sacred, Aleister Crowley decided that it would be good for him to keep that thing or make that thing sacred. I, yeah, have a hard time I'm, with sacred stuff. I don't know. Interesting. It'll be an interesting it's, episode. I'm excited to see what my opinions a, are. A fucking ride. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to tell you that right now. Okay. He is an absolute unit. Like how Ernest Hemingway, if you just look at his life... Like, not even read anything he wrote. Just look at his life. He's an absolute fucking unit. And mm-hmm. Aleister Crowley is the same way. Um, so, uh, while Elle knows a lot about tarot, I'm going to be relying on her knowledge a lot to help, like, flush out, like, the tarot content, its origins, its modern usage and interpretations. So, uh, Elle, if I am flagrantly wrong about something. Uh, I never pause to correct you. <laughs> Don't worry. Yeah. <laughs> um... So in part one, Elle is going to do a reading with the Toth tarot deck developed by Aleister Crowley and a reading with um, the tarot deck that Elle likes. Mm-hmm. She's like, just pick one you like. And then in part two, Elle is going to do a tarot reading with Pokemon cards. Yeah. I got the Galarian Surfetched starter deck and Elle has been playing Pokemon Sword. So Elle is familiar with the new Galarian Pokemon. Sure. Of course I am. Yeah. That's <laughs> definitely what I did during that game was just really learn those Pokemans. You got a, you got a Toxtricity I did get a Toxtricity. Um, and, a, and a Togekiss? I've, I evolved my Togepi into a Togekiss, and he and I were really good friends, and he almost fainted during a battle, but he loved me so much that he recovered <laughs> during a dragon battle. And he's a fairy type, which is, you know what? Fuck you, RJ, because now I sound like a nerd. So <laughs> just go on with the show. <laughs> Togekiss is a good Pokemon in any competitive battle, or we'll tell you so. Yeah, um, for sure. Yeah. I had a, I mean, my team was stacked, in all fairness. But maybe I should revisit Pokemans. Okay. Moving on. Now, there are some who believe that the tarot itself is a closed practice. <laughs> and this is this is a bit of a misnomer. I've seen several, like, viral online posts about how the tarot is exclusive to Romani people, about how it's exclusive to Egyptian people, about how it's exclusive to members of OTO, which is Aleister Crowley's continuing occult following. And in reality... Tarot is an amalgamation of multiple cultures and occult practices that has its roots in traditional cardomancy. The tarot specifically is from 15th century Italy Mm -hmm. and later France. While Romani people have used the tarot and still use it today, it is not a close practice from them and was never exclusive to them. The biggest reason tarot is believed to be a close practice is... Because, because it was. fuck you, yeah. Well, it, it, it was, <laughs> mm-hmm. but not to, like, a specific nationality uh, or or group or anything like that. Uh, it was a close practice until the late 70, 1700s because specific secret societies of mostly white occultists who had their own methods and ideas for how it worked and what it meant, like, decided that, like, this is not knowledge for the unwashed masses. This is only for the secret members of the Order of the Golden Dawn. Um, well, it was also used, like, in conjunction with the Kabbalah, which is, like, Jewish mysticism. And the tree of life that comes from the Kabbalah is the basis of the fool's journey. And all 22 life paths exist on the Kabbalah, which is um, equivalent to all of the 22 cards in the fool's journey, which is a major arcana in tarot, so... And the Kabbalah too was taken by these secret societies mm-hmm. and, and said, reused, like, "This yeah. is our special secret 
thing that nobody else can know. So I took a Kabbalistic um, tarot and Kabbalistic mediumship from like one of my most favorite um, teachers, Ellen Bourne. She teaches out of Lilydale in New York. And she's talked about that, about how it kind of existed before then Aleister Crowley. And she her class was the one where I learned that Aleister Crowley was the one that took all of these things and was like, everyone have them. So, yes. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, like you said, all that changed with uh, the one dude who brought the tarot deck back out into the open. And mm-hmm. That man is Alistair motherfucking Crowley. Uh, mm-hmm. So join us on our deep dive into the tarot. Cardomancy via tarot cards. Now, before we dive into Crowley's biography, let's do some history on the tarot cards themselves. Like many forms of cardomancy, tarot has its origins as playing cards. There were four suits, and they all vary depending on whatever region you got your cards from or are playing in. In the playing card decks that we're familiar with, the suits are hearts, clubs, spades, and diamonds, which are variants of French and British suits. In Italy... The suits were cups, coins, batons, also called wands, and swords. Mm -hmm. Uh, So the playing cards that we use today are just regional variants of the suits in the tarot. Mm -hmm. They just were separated by region. Um, The decks contain numbered pips from one, which is the ace, to ten, as well as four face cards per suit. King, Queen, Knight, and Jack, also called the Knave, also called Page. Page. Which I really like that he's called the Knave. Like, he's just this douchebag. <laughs> he's just like fucking Chad, like, <laughs> coming in, like, what up? It's Jack. Pages are the idiots. They're also like the 14 year olds. Yeah. Like, hey, man, who's got some meat for Jack? Chug, chug, chug. <laughs> TVH, those are actually the Knights. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, the jack is, um, you know, what we're used to in playing cards, while the page is what's used in tarot decks to this day. Shame uh, we don't use the name anymore. Um, you know, like the jackass <laughs> royal card. Yeah. It's like we have the knight and we have the queen and then we have their stupid fucking son. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, so maybe jack is short for jackass. I don't know. Could be. Um, Jack is, I'm wrong. Jack is 16th century speak that just meant average dude. <laughs> oh, okay. He's just an everyman. So he's like a servant or like a foot soldier mm-hmm. is, is the idea. Mm-hmm. In addition to the pip cards, there's also a 21 card trump suit called the Major Arcana. But it would be a while before the cards in the Major Arcana would become familiar In fact, they weren't even called the Major Arcana until the 17th century. The earliest tarot deck in in existence is from the 1400s. And it's called the Viscounti Safrosa tarot deck. In Viscounti Safrosa. Are you going to tell us when the 22nd card gets added? Yeah. Okay. Definitely. All right. Like, not all of the trump cards existed in in that old 1400s deck. Um, in those times, the game was played with them uh, as a trick-taking game, and it was called Trifoni, which means trumps, later shortened to Trump by the peasantry, because, like, easy. Uh, and you can still play Trump with a regular deck of playing cards. The deck was commissioned by the Duke of Milan and his son-in-law, which was his successor. From what I understand... 
The trick-taking game occurs where the Major Arcana cards were assigned a special value based on their number. The game caught on in the Royal Courts specifically as a gambling game. Then it caught on in the lower classes as a gambling game, and sentiment around the game started to change. As the game became more popular with working folks, it was played in taverns, and people would lose their whole ass paycheck gambling, mm -hmm. playing Trifoni. Uh, the Trifoni cards uh, received a new colloquial name, Taroki cards. Mm. And Taroki is an old Italian word for foolishness or buffoonery. <laughs> Basically, they were saying, if you play this game, you're a fucking idiot. Because gambling is for losers. You have a family to feed, you moron. Go to church, Go asshole. to church. Yeah. Spend your money with us. Yeah. So uh, tarot uh, is the shortened version of taroki. Um, RJ was so demystified. I, when I he really was. This. I was like, so you're telling me that tarot doesn't have some deep occult like meaning in some long dead like Cthulhu language, <laughs> and that it actually just means idiot. <laughs> <laughs> Checks out, honestly. <laughs> uh, in any case, as a way of sort of like owning the things that they were being made fun of for the gamblers put in a new special trump card in the deck called the fool and it was considered the most valuable trump card so they were like what's a card that's better than one a zero <laughs> so they put in the fool mm -hmm. um <laughs> which like way to own it bros way to double <laughs> double down if gamblers do anything it is double down yeah um, <laughs> Um, Taroki would be abbreviated to tarot by the players and other parts of Europe started to play it too and the game began to spread because that's a gambling epidemic mm -hmm. <laughs> that's what happens um, while the general sentiment was that gambling is for fools losers stay in school uh, <laughs> and tarot was being a game for fools the players of the game responded like Fuck it. Daddy needs a new pair of shoes. Uh, popularity grew regardless. To the point where the church stepped in. And we all know what happens when the church steps in around the 15th century. <laughs> Whatever they don't like is witchcraft and devil worship. Even though the original tarot featured Christian iconography and religious leaders as trump cards, like, you know, the fucking hierophant mm -hmm. uh, is absolutely like the Pope. And in the original drawing, he was like drawn to be the existing Pope. Mm -hmm. Um the association with gambling made these depictions look more like a mockery of the church. Uh, in response to the demonization, two new cards were added to the to the Trump deck, and they were kind of like changed around some of the old cards. Uh, the cards that were added were the devil and the tower. <laughs> Basically, yeah, we're uh, devil worshiping idiots. But you know what else? Daddy still needs a new pair of shoes. But now you know fucking deal, Jeremy. You know what else? What? Those that are the highest get struck by lightning the first. So that's what the tower is about. It's like, fuck you. Go sit in your tower. Wait. Wait for lightning to come because it's going to strike. Biggest fuck you. Yeah. So good. Pretty big fuck you from the, the gamblers. Yeah. <laughs> they literally, like, 
if if they really cared, they probably wouldn't be gambling. Um, yeah, like they don't give us. That's the thing. It's like they, they cool. I don't fucking care about this. <laughs> it's like people are like, you're doing the devil's work, and the Bible says, I'm like, okay, hey, well, I don't believe in the Bible, so I don't like. I don't. You're wasting your time. <laughs> I'm doing the devil's work. What if? Because I know I'm not. But what if I actually was though? What if <laughs> the devil isn't real and neither is your God? So shut the fuck up. I, I don't know. I don't. That's all these people, but also me. It's fine. Um, and I mean, they could definitely die for saying that out loud, mm-hmm. but they, they definitely fucking like they were find their some little lines. ways. Yeah, they were towing some dangerous lines in the 15th century with the church. Mm-hmm. Uh, in response to the gamblers doubling down again, quadrupling down, the church also doubled down on their demonization. This is the part where the tarot deck will fall out of favor with card players and aristocrats, allowing the 52-card deck we all know and love to take over in popularity with new games being devised for the deck. Basically, a lot of these gamblers were like, you know what I don't want to get? Inquisitioned. Yeah. So maybe we use these cards with no pictures and don't have one called the devil in it. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, by that time, tarot had spread all over Europe, though, and many of them, like, retooled the trump cards to feature birds, animals, whatever else. Uh, the old Renaissance motifs that were present in the older Italian decks, just a little too controversial. Uh, the other reason the tarot fell out of favor was, uh, also my favorite part about it, the cool pictures. Uh, <laughs> the tarot had way cooler pictures than any in the 52-card deck. But that made them expensive to make mm. and buy. Card Sharks opted for the more versatile, more simple 52-card deck. The tarot was still around, though, and by the time the 17th century it rolled around in France specifically, cardomancy was uh, getting traction. If you remember from our pilot episode uh, on cardomancy, you can refer to that episode on uh, Lenormand. Lenormand. Lenormand for that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the oldest records we have of the tarot being used for cardomancy and divination is 1750. Not exactly the ancient timeless practice. That, you know, <laughs> it's like this existed at the dawn of time. Adam carried it out of the Garden of Eden. No. 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 It was like French people in 1750. Uh, and they called the, the game Tarocco Belloni. Bologna. Bolognese. Bolognese. B-O-L-O-G-N-E-S-E. Tarocco Bologna. What is the theme song for Bologna? Where you, what, how do you use uh, it? The, the Oscar Mayer theme song. I bet all of our listeners are just dying. Yeah, right? And you sing it to the tune? Jesus. I'm like <laughs> flashing back into my childhood, like commercials on Nickelodeon. I hope our listeners are as old as we are. So yes. someone can tell us anyway. I'm singing and that in my head. I, I shit you not, though. Uh, they called it that because it originated from the Bologna region of yeah. France. Yeah. No, that's a real thing. Yeah. And so when people call Tarot a load of Bologna, they're uh, partially correct. I, no one has ever said that to me. <laughs> that's Bologna. I, and yeah. it's like, it did originate from the Bologna region of France. So, so it's legitimate Bologna. Technically, it's not just um, lunch meat. It's from the Bologna region of France. Okay. <laughs> it's real. Okay. <laughs> Um, so this 1750 deck featured much of the original iconography, uh, from the deck, the Duke of Milan commissioned in the 1400s, uh, plus all the little fun (laughs) additives like the devil. Um, 
And this was uh, more pure for divination. So they were like, we need the we need the old school tarot for the baloney region of France. So we bring the old pictures back. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was, it was pure for them. Mm-hmm. Even though it also included the fool and the devil in the tower as the fuck you, let's gamble expansion pack that, that, <laughs> that, that came with. I feel like with Hiroki. <laughs> The top tarot has extra cards in it that um, the writer Waite does not. And I'm just going to say that those are the fuck you, I'm gambling cards from Alistair uh, Crowley. Writer Waite Smith. Yeah, you're right. It's Writer Waite Smith. But people don't know about Writer Waite Smith yet because we haven't fucking will. gotten there they yet. They will. They don't we'll know. Get there. We'll get there. <laughs> <laughs> Smith is the silent, well, not the silent, but the forcibly silent third partner in the Writer Waite yeah. connection. Yeah, okay. Uh, However, tarot divination didn't really become popular until after the 1780s when two French dudes began writing books on the tarot as occult and arcane cards, which tap into the ancient symbolism of the human experience. And these two dudes were Antoine Court and a dude known as Etelia. I used to have his deck, actually, you know, my, my skeleton tattoo. Yeah. Oh, yeah, the Petite Italia. Um, right. Yes. My skeleton tattoo is from one of the original um, tarot decks. That, oh. like, that's And that's why it's in Italian. That's why his writing is in Italian, because it's from that. Huh. Yeah, there you uh, go. Fun fact. Yeah. You might recognize Italia from our Cartomancy episode because of the oracle deck named after him. The Petite Italia. Which was derived from the 52-card deck uh, used for the French trick-taking game Piquet, which was, like, sort of the, the takeover of, like, this terrible shit is too edgy. Let's do Piquet so mm. we don't piss off the church people. Uh, mm-hmm. Lenormand used that deck with her own flair, of course, you know, throwing her cards against the wall of taxidermy crows <laughs> or bats or whatever the fuck. I was bad, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was my favorite. Um, the other guy, Antoine Court, was a Protestant pastor who kind of gave up on the pastor lifestyle to become a philosopher and writer because what else do you do in 1700s France? That's your two career options are philosopher, writer, or both. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And he, so he was like all about this enlightenment philosophy stuff, but then was like, also, what about we put magic into the enlightenment philosophy? And people were like, okay. There's this cool club. Let me tell you about it. Uh, it's called the Freemasons. And he was initiated. Uh, <laughs> uh, and the lodge that he was in, he was actually a lodge mate with Benjamin Franklin. Hmm. Which, like, fascinating little crossover there. Honestly, I think the more you, like, dig into the history of all these historical figures, it gets really, like, incestuous. Yeah. Weirdly so. And this is the second time we've mentioned Benjamin Franklin. The The other time was, was with... He- Remember his haunted crystal glass thing that makes people kill themselves in the in the Rhapsodomancy episode? Sure. Yeah, he invented that. F- that f- <laughs> yes. Yeah. The uh, the the glass m- harmonica. Yeah, the musical instrument. Yeah. Was Benjamin Franklin like secretly into the occult? Um, you know, there were a bunch of literal skeletons in his basement. Um, we might have to do an episode. And, we and have he's to done a whole bunch of experiments uh, on, you know, various things. And I have absolutely no doubt he was all into alchemy and all well, into the I, occult. Yeah, I feel like at a certain point, 
science and magic have not really been separated until maybe the last 100, 200 years in human history. So if you were interested in one, you were naturally interested in the other. Yeah. And uh, the next episode that I've started writing is going to be on alchemy. And we are going to explore that fucking gray area hardcore. Yeah. In the alchemy episode. Uh, Antoine Court was a strong supporter of American independence in the American experiment. In many ways, Antoine Court's influence kind of make him a great-grandfather of modern occultism. The focus of his work was on linguistics, hermeneutics, not hermetics, hermeneutics, and the studies of symbolism. Basically, why do things mean the things they mean? Was his nothing whole, matters whole, because like, we decide it does. But. Whole like deal. Okay, that's um, interesting. And uh, to Antoine, these cards with the cool pictures and names from Italy were full of just crazy symbolism. In fact, they had to be ancient Egyptian secrets because Egyptomania was like a huge deal at the time. Mm. So. Uh, there was this rumor that the tarot cards originated in ancient Egypt and were born there with, like, the magic of the Egyptian gods. Named Toth? Uh, yeah, but it was Antoine Court just kind of, like, made this up because, like, that's what they must mean because symbols mean things. I think it's really fascinating that, like, because, I mean, I love the history of Egypt. I just love Egypt as a whole. I find it really fascinating that, like, Christians came in and fucking destroyed all of Egypt. And then it's those people that are like, maybe there's something more to talk about this. And as soon as, like, people started uncovering things in Egypt and they started sending, like, um, European, like, Britain, France, all of that stuff over to start uncovering the temples. And they were like, oh, this is worth preserving now. Anyway, really bothers me. Yeah, a lot of it is because all the shit they robbed, they were like, man, that's really cool. James, the foot soldier, got this weird tablet from Egypt when he sacked it. I need one of those. Well, there also (laughs) is just, I remember distinctly in one of the temples, I think it might have been... Isis's temple on this um, island that we went to, there just was like over the top of the hieroglyphs. There's constantly like 1865, like fucking graffiti carved into the hieroglyphs, like on these temples. Anyway, yeah, of course it had to be Egyptian because now we're going to decide that it's worth something. We're going to make yeah. up this history for Egypt that and uh... not listen to them because we destroyyed all their history. It's fine. <laughs> And what's even even better <laughs> is that Antoine Court's whole theory about the tarot being full of ancient Egyptian magic is literally the whole basis for Yu-Gi-Oh. Um, <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> the lore of Yu-Gi-Oh features gaming cards secretly being connected to ancient Egyptian magic. That the pharaohs would, like, summon monsters or creatures using magic and have, like, magical duels with them. And the pharaohs put their, like, magic magic inside of items called the millennium items so yugi in the show has one called the millennium puzzle which is like a little puzzle box and when he solves it he transforms into an ancient egyptian pharaoh who inhabits his body uh and he duels with yugi's cards i have a question that is specifically probably for our hater that is mad about talking about race but what did he think about all the people in the cards being white it's time to do Okay, just asking. Okay. 
You know, I feel like that is exactly um, our hater that sent me the hate mail. And she's like, not important. It's time to duel with my chakras. Bam! That's what I think about racism chakras, bitch. Man, I'm going to be so excited when we do the bonus episode that explains how wrong her opinion is and how much damage her opinion does. All the time. Fucking constantly. Yeah, just... Waiting, waiting for the day. I, Um, yeah, I think the basis of I'm really bothered by the idea that this is like Egyptian because I feel like we just white people for so long took all the things away from Egypt that made it so special that were worth studying. And then they were like, actually, now you get to have these white people things. So we've decided that the white people things that we made are actually from Egypt because we erased all of your history and culture. So, yay. Anything that was magic or mysterious was Egyptian to these people. I that's just fucking wild to me considering yeah. like Rome, right? And Greece yeah. and like And if you look at like um the history of the Gisler that they would call Romani mm-hmm. people, it's actually an exonym for Egyptian shortened to Egyptian. As in, oh, they're weird and mysterious and magic, and so they must be from Egypt. There is – so there's something that happened, like, with the G sound and the C sound, but, like, Coptic – Egypt is um, a word for, like, Coptic cultures – don't fact check me. Maybe fact check me and then correct me so I can correct this. But it's – that is – it's a thing with how they pronounce the C and the G. Because I learned that when we were in Egypt, that oh. Egypt is actually um, for Coptic. It means the same thing. And Coptic Christians were the ones that came in and Christianized Egypt, basically. They ran there when they were being um, persecuted by the Romans. But mm. Yeah, this seems to on, – on skimming, skimming Google, you seem to be correct. Wow. Wow. What a great thing. Okay, cool. Moving yeah. on. Um, Should I bring the bowl? Let's do the yeah. bowl. The side, the side. There you go. Oh yeah, that is a much yeah heartier tone. So it was Antoine who assigned meaning in the cards of the major arcana with this like Egyptian magic thing. <laughs> uh, so when people talk about the fool's journey and the story of the tarot, they're referring to Antoine's work, connecting it to the Kabbalah and ancient Egyptian like belief that probably wasn't even Egyptian. He just thought it was because the it was Kabbalah magic. is Jewish. Yes, it absolutely is. Okay, but cool. Anything magic was Egyptian <laughs> to these people. It's it's weird. I know a lot of that it, just feels really cringy considering the past, like the history of Egypt and Judaism. It's, it's, uh, it's super cringy, and especially in France because a lot of this comes from Napoleon invading Egypt. Uh, yeah, and like, like this all is, the all the shit about that. Dear TikTok people, that think this is just closed practice. No, it's just it's all fucking bastardized. Like none of it. Yeah. Like, it's not real. It's not. Yeah. Anyway. And of course, the story of the tarot has evolved over time and gotten a little bit closer to what's really in the Kabbalah and not just like Antoine kind of like making up this weird story. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> you know, and he's mm-hmm. like, this is what it must mean because I study symbolism. Uh, right. Yeah. Uh, but this is what to began to elevate tarot from the tavern gambling game for devil worshiping idiots to <laughs> unlocking the secrets of the universe <laughs> this is actually what this i'm trying to do with blackjack this is the book i'm gonna write <laughs> um 
If you, if, you, if you wrote a book on how to like psychic hack blackjack, you bet people like my dad would read it. I am actually um, trying to think if there is a way for me to do this with blackjack. And I told it to RJ, I'm not going to tell my system until I have it figured out. But if I figure out a system to do it, I'm fucking writing that book uh, and I'm going to make a million dollars. So uh, when we do a remote viewing episode, uh, when L is ready with this method, uh, I'm going to do do it like remote viewing cards, like Freud's yeah. experiments with remote we'll see. viewing. Yeah. Anyway. Um, but yeah, we'll see when we get there. Uh, so this was the first seeds of what we know as the major arcana rather than just a collection of trump cards. Meanwhile, Atelia was coming out with his own books where because he kind of like played out all the regular playing card stuff. Mm-hmm. And he was very well known, you know, for like having great cardomancy advice. So he was like, let me do this tarot thing. Um and he came up with the methods for the pips. Uh, that was his big thing was like writing down what each of the pips means. And they were like little blurbs where Antoine was all about like, this is a story. It tells a story. It's a journey. It's the, the an adventure. Story is, yeah, yeah, that's how I read. That's the easiest and way then, to read. And then the pips themselves, uh, Atelier was like, well, this means this. This is connected to this potential outcome and this potential. So he was a little more scientific it about it. On numerology at all, or no? That I could not tell. Something we okay. Yeah, but he probably did because he just used the same method that he used for the regular playing cards, like in well, the Petite Italia. And if you look at um, all the fives, mean the same thing like if you have if you learn what all the numbers mean what all the suits mean you know what all the cards mean yeah and i, I don't think Italia was was an idiot i think he knew what he was doing and like connecting the symbolism there mm-hmm. but not in a way that like tells a story necessarily okay okay um antoine was the story guy Italia was the like this is your future guy okay um and those would start to like blend over time mm-hmm. so Italia was like his shit was like more simple more practical and more focused on the pips rather than the trumps um, and from these two writings modern tarot would begin and prop my favorite fact about Antoine just a little break to talk about Antoine okay <laughs> his death um, it's so <laughs> fucking ridiculous okay, okay. Uh, but it's also the only way he could die the only mm. way so you see Antoine was a big believer in mesmerism uh, occult sciences that were the brainchild of Franz Anton Mesmer and we'll probably do a whole Mancy episode on fucking Mesmer because he's also an absolute unit uh, <laughs> but mesmerism was highly influential in spiritualism and occultism. Anyway, Antoine Court was partaking of one of Mesmer's magnet therapies, mm. which uh, involved like exposure to various lodestones or natural magnets. Um, and so like, you know, like the hot stone massages where they put the hot stones mm-hmm. on you. It was that with like natural magnets. Oh, okay. Uh, they just put it all over him. And they were strong, strong magnets. And like he'd lay on a metal table and the strong magnets would like press on him. Right. These are magnets that were created from like fucking lightning strikes and shit. Uh, So they were magic rocks. Okay. And uh, after his treatment, he was taking a bath. And during his bath, his heart stopped beating due to the electrical interference the magnets had caused. I was going to say, yeah. (laughs) 
That's the thing. Of course, they didn't know that at the time. So Mesmer was like, my powerful magic has killed him. Literally, when they <laughs> shock you, they elect. it's like magnetically stop your heart so it can restart. Like your heart is a fucking electrical current. Yeah. And they had no idea. They had no oh idea. Oh, my God. And, and they probably didn't even know the magnets killed him. Uh, they're probably just like, oh, he died a tragic death. Do you he think was he had that? By the angels. That that look on his face. The yeah. So uh, when I was an EMT, one of the symptoms of a heart arrhythmia or a heart stopping is a sense of impending doom. Uh, and uh, we had a drug, uh, amiodarone, that when you take it, it would actually chemically restart your heart because you cannot shock somebody who is awake because, ow. Yeah. Um, so we give them this heart restarting drug and I would just like watch their face just like appear in horror for like two seconds. And then they'd be like, what the fuck was that? What the fuck that did you do to death, me? motherfucker. Yeah. yeah, fucking the Grim Reaper showed up and just like <laughs> caressed their cheek and then left. Gently with the back of his hand, ran yeah. it down his face and said, I'm coming. Not yet, my son. <laughs> yeah. I like that yours is the father of death and mine is like a seductress of death. I think this is very indicative of who we oh, are. Oh, we're going to have a good time later. Hey, ask Mesmer about lodestones and we'll meet up. Uh, you, should, you should do that therapy. I'll be yeah. waiting for you. <laughs> hit the bowl. <laughs> Gotta hit the bowl. <laughs> anyway, that's how fucking Antoine died. <laughs> that's really horrifying and magic, sad. Magic fucking has killed people, and we will talk definitely about that in the alchemy episode. I'm sure magic has killed a lot of people. <laughs> um, after Antoine Court had his magnet mishap, another famous occultist hit the Freemasonry scene and then promptly told the Freemasonry scene to fuck off. <laughs> uh, that magician was Elphus Levi. And I could probably also do a whole biography about this motherfucker. And I probably will at some point. Levi was is just critical to the story of Tarot's transition to magical practice. While Antoine was looking for symbols and symbols, and Atelia was playing with cards, Elphus Levi was putting them to serious magical practice, like connected to the Kabbalah, enhancing their writings. He was considered a very powerful magus in the 1800s. And he was making huge strides in spiritualism. He joined the Freemasons because everybody was like, you should join the Freemasons. You do magic. And he was like, oh, okay, everybody tells me I should do this. And he learned some of their secret magic shit. And then came to the unwavering conclusion that the Freemasons could get fucked. Mm, mm-hmm. I agree. You see, Levi was a socialist. So the idea of taking all the secret magic in the world and stuffing it into a special good boys club where only special initiates could access it was a crime against humanity in his eyes. Mm-hmm. He also hated that the Freemasons were bigoted against Catholics, apparently. <laughs> Uh, Levi's writings and occult experimentation was a huge influence, and it laid the groundwork for what was to come. By granting people access to occult secrets like tarot, and also discovering the and writing new occult secrets, he gave rise to a whole new wave of Freemasonry knockoffs. Hmm. Basically, most of his shit was locked away by new secret societies. Uh, ones that would be like the Freemasons, but with more magic. We got mm. more focus on magic. And Freemason Part 2 
was the Hermetic Order mm-hmm. of the Golden Dawn. So basically, he was like, this belongs to the people and started giving it to the people. And then all of the things the he started giving to the people, took it. they took it and they were like, yes, thank you for this. Anyway, we're going to keep it secret and do the opposite of what you wanted. I think this is why, like, I really struggle with, like, sacred and ritual and that kind of stuff, because I think that we need to keep it sacred, that you shouldn't you shouldn't just fuck around with tarot cards and divination and Ouija boards because you think it's fun and funny. Like, I think that they're real serious tools that you can use. But also, like, RJ... um. <clears throat> Was like, go pick your favorite, like, your favorite tarot deck. And I was like, okay, but I don't know. Like, do I pick my tarot deck that I use all the time? Do I pick my tarot deck that I love the most? Do I pick the one that I never read with but is the best tarot? And he was like, pick the one that you just can't ever get rid of. And I was like, motherfucker, I don't even have my first tarot deck. Like, you just use them and then people fucking spill wine and coffee and people steal cards. People will steal the tarot cards out of your deck. And then you just have to buy a new deck of tarot cards. And so it's kind of weird because I think it's so hard because you want to protect what you're doing and make sure that people understand that it is important and that it is a tool. But also probably we shouldn't gatekeep magic from people like we shouldn't decide that, oh, well, you were lucky enough to be here to learn the secrets and therefore you deserve the secrets because I don't think that that's right either. I don't know. It's complicated. I, I think there are definitely some good reasons to like make some things closed practice. But I don't know if playing with cards is one of them and especially i think the best litmus test for whether something should be really respected as a sacred closed practice is who is closing it yeah uh, if it's a bunch of rich white elites like the freemasons then yeah fuck it <laughs> well i mean so the kabbalah was always kept a secret and closed practice because the belief of the kabbalah was that it held all of the magic all the secrets of life and if you have all the secrets of life you have all the secrets of death and they would only teach it to men who were old and the idea was that if you knew all of the secrets of the universe they didn't want young people who were really um rash that would just do anything who would do love spells and kill people because they were just high on power so they would save it for people until they were like too old to fucking use it anymore and they had like five years left in their life and so they thought that those were the only people that had earned the right to have it because they were the only ones that were to respect the magic so I understand like that perspective of this is something that we have to protect because it is inherently dangerous and magic is inherently dangerous but I think not because magic is dangerous but because people are dangerous and people perceive magic as something uncontrollable and dangerous and chaotic I mean it did kill Antoine Court Uh, well I mean magnets killed it It was magic when it wasn't is what killed it, you know? (laughs) Um, And that takes us to our extra spell sponsored by you. We could just do an extra spell. (laughs) We could. Actually, you know what? Fuck it. I'm sponsoring the extra spell. Okay. I've got a new book out. Okay. I'm sponsoring the extra spell. Mm. It's me and my new book. My new book is called The Ghost Was Always the Machine. And it's an artist's book uh, that has you bouncing between analog poems written on paper and digital poems hidden on websites. You have to basically solve the book uh, by finding the hints within the poems in the analog book so that you can unlock passwords on the website and discover new and hidden poems. It has 11 analog poems, which is about how many are in my normal chapbooks. And it has uh, up to, I think, 
23 no up up to 23 total if you include the digital poems but because i know not everybody has internet access the digital poems are included at no extra charge so you can still read the analog poems and enjoy them as poems it's, it uh, features my new poem, uh, Face Blind, which just won the Button Poetry Video Contest, as well as other poems like My Mother Explains My Depression to Me, PTSD, and Escape Room, and just uh, some new uh, content. It's a very heavy book, so uh, warning on that, you can get it at rjwalkerpoet.com. I'm the extra spell. No. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. This extra spell is about the fool's journey. Basically... It's the story of the tarot that was sort of pioneered by Antoine Court using appropriated symbolism from other places and then later developed by other occultists and cardomancers like Levi. Uh, L, is it safe to assume you are familiar with The Fool's Journey? Just a little Just bit. Just a little? Yeah. Um, yes. So The Fool's Journey is the major arcana. So tarot, the tarot deck is split into two different sections, kind of. Um, there's two main sections, I guess, of tarot. So there's major arcana, which are cards 0 through 21, which is The Fool's Journey. And then there's minor arcana, which are the suits, the four suits, um, which change from tarot deck to tarot deck, kind of depending on who did it. But um, when we look at the major arcana and The Fool's Journey, The Fool's Journey is split into three different sections. So the first section of The Fool's Journey is our internal life and our relationship to ourself. The second section is the relationship to other people. So what's interesting is that cards zero through six, which are the first seven that make up the first three, uh, the first of the three sections. Um, the final one is actually the lovers. And people get the lovers card all the time. And they're like, oh, I'm going to be in love. This is this is it. I'm going to have good sex. I'm going to be in love. Actually, it's in their personal relations section because it is talking about our relationship to ourself and the relationship that we have with our light and dark self, as well as um, indicating in the Toth Tarot, the relationship between Cain and Abel and talking about the kind of relationship that results in one person dying over the jealousy of another. So that's a very interesting fact for anyone who's like, the lovers, oh my God. No, no, not the thing. Um, so the next section is our relationship to the outside world and the ways in which people perceive us. And then the final section is like the universal truths and the things we do on the universal scale. So people in the fool's journey or the fool's journey represents um, different stages of our lives that we continually go through. So we always start at the fool, which is card number zero, which is representative of infinite potential. The egg card number zero blah, 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 blah. All of that stuff is represented in The Fool. So it's like the beginning of the journey. It's the baby who just starts out. It's the fool who doesn't know fucking anything. And you're just like, la, 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 la. Um, and on The Fool card, there is a little white dog who kind of follows him around. And that is representative of your spirit guide. So you start the journey with optimism and hope and a spirit guide to take you where you need to be. You end the journey with the world card, which is represented by a woman in the womb. And so there's a woman in the traditional Rider-Waite-Smith deck. There's a woman inside of a laurel wreath, which represents her being in the womb, waiting to be reborn into the fool. So um, the symbolism of starting with a baby and ending with a gestation cycle is that we are continuously going and we are continuously ending our journey at the beginning of the next one. So throughout our lifetimes, we are constantly re repeating the fool's journey over and over again. Um, and the fool's journey, the cards inside of the major arcana often represent different archetypes that we um, take on or can utilize at different points in our life. My, I guess the way that I like to look at the fool's journey and utilizing it in tarot is really utilizing the tools or the energy presented to us from those cards in order to infuse our lives with the things that we are missing. So if you are going through something really tough and you're needing 
I guess, like support and you need a lot of like masculine energy to just push things ahead. Then you could incorporate more of the emperor's energy who is very intense, very masculine, has his ideas about where things are going to go and his ways are always the right ways. If you're needing a more gentle approach and needing to support other people in their journey or needing to support yourself and your growth, then you could embody more of the empress, which is more nurturing and it's the mother card and she's the one that can really help us um, – yeah, nurture things. So the fool's journey is just the idea of the entire journey that we take throughout our lifetimes and the different sections that we go through and the different kinds of people that we are. And then I like to use those archetypes as different energies that we can use as tools in our lives to help us find the things we're missing. There's so much more I could say, but yeah, I'm going to leave it there. <laughs> I know. And I'm, I'm going to come at this from a different angle Motherfucking pop culture. Uh, so from from what I understand, it's like one of the first things you learn when you learn tarot is like kind the of, fool's journey. I, eh, like, I think so, but I think that people are like, oh, the fool's journey exists, yay. And then that's kind of all people really say about it is like, yep, it's the fool's journey. Mm. So you don't really learn that much typically. Did you know that I wrote a play based on the fool's journey? Yeah, you did because you asked me about it. You were like, yeah. I need a deck of tarot cards. Can you? Yeah, anyway. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> uh, so it was going to be in this arts festival before the pandemic. And I had this whole thing outlined and ready to convert to a script. One of the festival leads had kind of like uh, issues and uh, I just had to back out from the project because I was like, you know, this seems a little messy. Um, still, I learned a hell of a lot about this story uh, and it follows some of the most basic and important storytelling rules, specifically the rules in epic poetry. In that way, The Fool's Journey serves as an epic poem told through mostly like titles and images images in a modular order and i think that's fucking incredible just like from a writerly standpoint yeah there's a lot of books or there's a really good book that's um called i think using tarot to write or write or tarot for the writer or something like that where people are like yeah you can utilize these in anything it's tried and true yeah and like fun fact if you're a fan of adventure time it is heavily inspired by the tarot and epic poetry in its storytelling mm -hmm. in fact adventure time's spin-off series stakes features very direct references to the tarot and even when you look at finn adventure time's main character He's the fool. yeah you see like direct comparisons finn is a bit of a bumbler going from crisis to crisis in an attempt to be a hero uh and interacting with the people around him who are all very archetypal crazy characters and he is a who have very strong direct personalities and he's accompanied by a dog who serves as both a friend and a guide and a partner in buffoonery mm -hmm. so yeah, yeah my guides are definitely partners in buffoonery that's their <laughs> fucking favorite thing <laughs> and uh if you look at so many things obviously persona five you know uh and uh oh jojo's bizarre adventure Hmm. In the season, everybody talks about everybody has a stand, which is basically like a spirit guide that they can make fight for them. Hmm. It's like a ghost that comes out of their back. And each one is associated with a major arcana card. So the main character, Joe Star, his stand is representative of the star. Hmm. Uh, the the guy who has a, uh, a stand representative of the fool is literally a little dog. <laughs> Okay. It's, this, it's basically Rocco, or is this little damaged stray dog? It's your dog, and and he's got this super powerful like ghost fighter in him that That's he can use totally to like steal food and like fight people. Honestly, swear to God, if I ever like 
didn't have a place to be and I was just kind of nomadic and on the streets, I would want Rocco with me because I feel like Rocco would be a very useful tool, you know? If I didn't objectively know you would hate JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, (laughs) uh, then I would have you watch this specific season with all these, like, tarot, like, fighters in it. I'm I'm still unsure if JoJo's Bizarre Adventure is an on-purpose comedy or an accidental comedy that they leaned into and made an on-purpose comedy. That sounds like a thing I would enjoy not liking, though. I like to watch things that I don't like. And, you know, like, anime people hate me for this, but I think JoJo's Bizarre Adventure is bad. Bad on purpose is still bad. but Yeah, bad on purpose is still bad. It's true. (laughs) It's like, I feel like it's the room of anime, and a lot of people are going to disagree and tell me that JoJo's Bizarre Adventure is the best anime ever made. And to those people, I say... I hope you en- I hope you enjoy characters named ACDC and Dio as if they didn't just see what was scribbled on a junior high school notebook and write that into okay <laughs> It was time Anyway these story tropes uh were and techniques were very present in the time of Antoine Court uh, in very popular works such as The Divine Comedy and Paradise Lost, retaining their popularity through the decades. In fact, we still recognize these today and rely on them for our current media. Adventure Time episodes, like they're like 10 minutes long, but they're able to use these poetic devices and these specific images to tell stories very visually and clearly by packing tons of meaning into everything, no matter how absurd. Like there's one part in Adventure Time where it's like, oh, we can't go outside. It's raining knives. And then you just look outside and it's raining knives and you just accept that. It's like, okay. That's totally the Knight of Swords. You, you like, there's so many things. You have, this, you have this symbolism and that just means that they have to stay in for the day. Mm. You know? And the, the, that's how it moves the story along is just with like very f- brief flashes of tons of symbolism. Mm-hmm. Um, another piece of media that uses the fool's journey as a basis for its story is one of my favorite video games, persona five. I fucking love this game and persona five. Um, most of its sorts material is actually Jungian psychology. Like all the persona games are based on Jungian psychology and feature the major arcana as an important mechanic of the game. Each of your friends and acquaintances are assigned a card in the major arcana based on the role they play in the character story. Depending on the strength of these relationships with these major arcana stand-ins, your personas, which are basically like Pokemon from folklore in the collective unconscious, Mm -hmm. gain bonuses if they are connected to the matching major arcana card. For example, your foster father is represented by the Hierophant. The closer you get to him, the stronger Hierophant-type personas will fight for you. The other connection between tarot and Carl Jung's archetypes is why I think uh, the tarot has become the number one divination method used today. Each of the cards in the tarot major arcana are very recognizable as archetypes from our collective unconscious. Mm -hmm. Like you can look at these pictures and really put something together, uh, understanding what these archetypes are just in your brain naturally. Yeah, you just know. That's I think the thing that's so weird about tarot is that people think it's like – like kind of like you, where it's like it has to be this like super complicated, in-depth, secret thing. And it's like, no, bro, like the fucking emperor means a fucking emperor. Like pretty clearly the fool means a fool. Like the devil. Yeah, pretty much. So, yeah, it's kind of interesting because I do think it's all made to be innately understood by all of us. And that's collective unconsciousness. So. Yeah, I think uh, Levi might have had a strong hand in that. Uh, as well as as far as the accessibility of of tarot goes before it was you know 
snatched by the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn. Yeah. Uh, this extra spell was brought to you by me and my new book, The Ghost Was Always the Machine. You can get it at rjwalkerpoet.com. Uh, you can also Venmo at dollar compliments and I'll do a fake totally just made up from my collect the collective unconscious tarot reading for you. <laughs> I'll just do a wacky make them up based on the picture I see. And you can support the show by subscribing at patreon.com slash Mancy. As a stancy, you'll receive episodes as soon as we're done making them. So no more waiting for part two. You'll also get to hear the occasional blooper and some behind of behind of the behind of the behind the scenes. They'll sound a lot like this. Uh, yeah. Behind the scenes takes when we collect them <laughs> organically. So in the late 1700s, tarot was like starting to catch on. People were like, this is kind of cool. And then it really started to catch on in the 1800s. Tarot, you understand, started in the 1400s. And so it went through a lot of changes before then. The original deck with the original illustrations was an old and strange and weird narrative. And the deck was actually filled the, the, like with ancient Egyptian secrets, according to these people. <laughs> and uh, if it wasn't a ancient Egyptian, then it was the Kabbalah, which was so secret you couldn't know anything about it unless you were part of the secret cool kids club of these you know, secret magical societies. Mm -hmm. Or maybe it was a secret fortune telling technique of the Romani who were using it. Or maybe it was connected to the I Ching or the Tantra or whatever Europeans and or Americans. Or maybe it's all the same fucking thing. Yeah, whatever Euro Europeans or Americans thought was like mysterious or magical uh, was like, oh, that's connected to the tarot. Mm -hmm. You know? Uh, however, there is no evidence whatsoever of tarot readings being done before the 18th century in Europe. So... Sorry, not quite as mystical as you think. And by the 1800s, people thought it was like really, really, really mystical. <laughs> so, so much so that the secret societies just like began adopting it and assigning their own meanings and interpretations to the cards. In 1789, Italia was the first to issue a tarot deck specifically for occult purposes. He claimed the cards originated in the Book of Toth. Mm -hmm. And so the cards were just full of... Egyptian themes and secrets like his his book was just like all in with the Egyptian narrative all of his pictures were Egyptian looking like they were all ancient stone tablets like fucking Yu-Gi-Oh I have actually um probably that deck I have a deck that's like I would say kind of primitive and more based on because before I think before Rider Waite Smith, all the tarot decks only had like illustrated major arcana. Minor arcanas did not actually have pictures. They just had like the suits on it. So they'd have like four batons. Um, so I have an Egyptian deck that I got probably at the same time as my Italian deck. I was just, you know, ahead of the curve. This is when I was like 18. I was baby. I really, really want you to like treat these like how. Um pimply teenage boys treat their like trading cards and like get like booklets and like sleeves and like so uh, <laughs> i have uh i there we how do i tell the story so one of my boyfriends and i have had like a funny joke that is like i was like how am i gonna you know like transition into doing like psychic work like on like a bigger scale right and i was like i know 
I'm going to do bathtub tarot and I'll just do tarot readings in the bathtub. And that's what I'll do. And I mean, TikTok would love it. Right, right. Like this is we probably started this conversation. We've been dating for like three years. So like probably three years ago, we started having this conversation about what that would look like. So it was before TikTok was really a thing. Um, And he was like, don't worry, we'll just we'll double sleeve. All the cards. When you get that like, You're holographic, a fucking nerd. <laughs> when you get that holographic Charizard, you bet you double sleeve that shit. Yeah, double like sleeve, people top fucking, and bottom. One of my like tarot decks or one of my cards is like just a bent corner. It's the three of cups. Has the has a bent corner in it, and it's like I'm just gonna let it go until it fucking rips off, and I'll shuffle it and I'll just rip, <laughs> and then you know what I'm gonna do? Buy a new deck. Like it's fine. <laughs> um. So. Uh, Italia's deck was separated in two parts. The trump cards now being called the Major Arcana, which super secrets. And then the pips now being called the Minor Arcana, less super secrets. <laughs> and if there's secrets to be kept, the 1800s had no shortage of secret societies and schism groups of those secret societies to keep them. The tarot became a symbol of occultism and hidden knowledge, with the cards containing secret information from one overly mystified group or another. The legends and mythologies surrounding the cards began to grow, it seems, and over time, the cards became associated with magic of the deepest kind, a magic that should not be available to the unwashed masses. So the practice of reading tarot became closed hidden knowledge, making it all the more powerful to the members of those secret societies. And with that background, here we go into Alistair Crowley. Okay. Alistair Crowley was born Edward Alexander Crowley in Warwickshire, 1875. He was named after his father, who was a brewmaster and a really, really good brewmaster at that. He was able to retire early and finally live out his dream of becoming a more hardcore Christian. (laughs) (laughs) Gonna retire and move to the monastery. I have made my fortune and now I can devote the rest of my days to Jesus. He left behind his extreme Christian Christian views as a Quaker (laughs) and joined an even more extreme fundamentalist Christian group called the Exclusive Brethren, which like if your club is called the Exclusive Brethren, no thanks. Um, (laughs) He was later joined in his conversion by his wife and would read the Bible to a young Aleister Crowley before breakfast Every morning. So this is what broke Aleister Crowley. And then his father became a traveling preacher who would just go around and be like, y'all aren't Christian enough. Y'all aren't Christian enough. And then he would like hit them with a Bible and be like, bleed for Jesus. Y'all aren't Christian enough. And then he'd rip his shirt off uh, and he would do a luchador wrestling match with the devil. No, he didn't. He didn't do that. But he was like super fucking hardcore. Why is it that all of the most evil people started out as like hardcore Christians? <laughs> at this at this time specifically. Well, no, this is specifically reminding me of Jim Jones. Oh, like very distinctly like Jim Jones vibes. Yeah. I mean, 
as this is, you know, as as is fitting, the son of a traveling Bible preacher. thumper. Yeah. <laughs> now, I'm not even going to say preacher. He was a Bible thumper. Well, I mean, he would literally thump people with his Bible. Yeah. So. Crowley attended multiple Christian boarding schools. He described the headmaster of one of these schools as a sadist and was always getting in trouble for questioning things too much. His mother called him the Beast because of how much trouble he'd always get in. Do you think Aleister Crowley is the one that's buried up in that cemetery? Which which one? The the Beast, victim of the Beast. Victim maybe the beast maybe she is the victim of Aleister Crowley. Uh aren't aren't we all at some point? We'll get I there. definitely <laughs> am. <laughs> we'll get there. Um they'd give him the old paddle smack. Uh, whenever Crowley would disbehave, you know, the old like paddle with holes in it, uh, which Crowley noted the headmaster seemed to enjoy way too much. And Crowley was like, maybe I will enjoy this way too much someday. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then when he was 11, his father died of tongue cancer. <laughs> it's a bit poetic, isn't it? It really is. So good. I hope he couldn't talk. It I is, hope he it died is, not it, talking. It is the most poetic death for a fire and brimstone preacher, I think. Yeah. I think great. fucking the ghost rider with his flaming skull went like, look into my eyes and pay for your sins. And the preacher's tongue got cancer. Yeah. Um. So Crowley described the death of his father as a turning point in his life. He always respected his father, and he his father was a very successful man and was devoted wholeheartedly to his passions. Whatever his father did, his father did 110%. And he inherited a third of his father's wealth, and uh, th- it was a lot of wealth. Like, when I said he was a successful brewmaster, I meant he was the goat. Like, if you had a beer, it was from Aleister Crowley's father. And he would just get royalty money from his, like, beer money. So did he do like import like exporting and stuff? Oh yeah. Okay. He started a whole ass brewery business. How much money did Alistair Crowley get left? Did it say? It just says a third of his father's wealth. Uh that that was all I didn't get an exact number, and I doubt there there is an exact number anywhere, but maybe in a biography. Um but I know that it was a lot. Yeah. It was a significant amount. It was a never need to work again trust fund. Unless you're Aleister Crowley. Unless you're Aleister Crowley. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, you know, as a youth, even having all this wealth, he would just hop between Christian schools, growing more and more skeptical of Christianity with each expulsion. Mm. It got to the point where he would openly point out inconsistencies in the Bible to his professors, smoke <laughs> on campus, have sex with prostitutes, which resulted in his first case of gonorrhea. Eventually, he was taken out of Christian schools to be privately tutored by the exclusive brethren, who taught him some of their esoteric Christian ways, but were mostly tutoring him as a favor to his His very much admired late father. Still, he annoyed the shit out of him. (laughs) Yeah, Aleister Crowley seems very punchable. Yeah, he annoyed the shit out of them. And they just kind of like, were like, okay, fine, be annoying. Just leave me alone. Just doing this for your dead dad. And then just graduate, whatever. Uh, So they would leave him to his own devices. Aleister Crowley took great interest in chess, poetry, and hiking, even joining the Scottish Mountaineering Club. Wow. Yeah. Honestly, Aleister Crowley's mountaineering shit it got to be its own fucking deal. And we're talking a lot about it because it's like weirdly important. Okay. Hiking. <laughs> <laughs> okay. 
Okay. After that, he officially adopted the name Alistair and attended a three-year course at Cambridge University. He started off as a philosophy major and then switched to English. Crowley further pursued his passions. He had several poems published in the student journal, was a highly competitive chess player with enough talent to go pro if he wanted, and would frequently go on hikes. In 1896, however, things would forever change for Crowley. While in Stockholm on vacation, he had his first mystical experience. I thought you were going to tell me he had his first drugs. Better. Uh, We don't know exactly what that mystical experience was exactly, only that it had a profound impact on him. And most of the biographers believe that it was actually his first homosexual experience that allowed him to fully accept his bisexuality. Oh, okay. Uh, So rather than his first drugs, it was his first dick. Uh, Transformative, truly. Calling it his experience with homosexuality a mystical experience could have been coded language due to the illegality and bigotry regarding homosexuality at the Mm -hmm. time. So uh, most of the biographers were like, yeah, this was probably gay shit. And he was just trying to, like, code that in there for people who knew. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Back at Cambridge. Crowley had an even more vigorous sex life, mostly with female prostitutes, which is where he got his first case of syphilis. That's one. Uh, Give me one ding for syphilis number one. Cool. That's one. Are we going to do one? Every time he gets syphilis, we're going to add a ding uh, for Aleister Crowley's syphilis. Okay. And then also began taking part in homosexual activities on the DL. Mm-hmm. Crowley entered into a homosexual relationship with Hubert Charles Pullet, who was a famous patron of the arts and onstage female impersonator, which we know today yeah. as a drag queen. Yeah. Uh, they broke it off because Hubert did not share the same interest in occultism, and Crowley noted that he always regretted the breakup. Crowley went to Russia to study to become a diplomat, but then had a brush with mortality when he fell ill. Ding twice for the second syphilis. Uh, (laughs) He decided to give up having a normal career and be an occultist full time. Plus (laughs) plenty of money there. He had so much fucking money from his father's successful beer making. It was still making money. Like his father's beer was still still getting royalty and stuff. Yeah. So he could just afford a career in magic. (laughs) Despite acing all of his exams and having honors-worthy grades, he dropped out of Cambridge just before graduation. Like, the semester of graduation, he dropped out foregoing his degree. Because where we're going... We don't need degrees. We don't need degrees. (laughs) And that... Yikes. And that is where we'll pause our coverage of Aleister Crowley and Tarot for now. In part two, we're going to go into Crowley's adventures around the world... And the secret societies he was part of, the ones he formed and the tarot decks he developed, much of the sh- much to the chagrin of the occultist community. For now, L, shall we do a tarot reading? Uh, the deck Crowley created is called the Toth Tarot Deck, and I believe you have one with you. Yes, it's called the Toth or Tahoti or Thoth. Okay. Depending on who the fuck you are and how pretentious you are. Oh, okay. Um, (laughs) The deck, uh, this is, you know, Crowley's deck. And we'll go more into the creation of this deck and why he created this deck in part two. 
Um, and you also have your uh, your special deck. And this is going to be for our Patreon supporter, Enin. Right? No. No, Enin's going to get the Pokemons reading. Okay. Um, the Toth is going to be for... Oh, it's brand new. We're breaking the seal. Yeah, here. Oh, the smell. The new card smell. That was fucking crack cocaine to me when I was like... 13 playing Yu-Gi-Oh! I'd open up a booster pack and like smell the cards and be like, oh yeah, dopamine. That's just me unwrapping it in my microphone. ASMR. So you guys can hear. There's literally like guys on YouTube that just open booster packs of Pokemon cards and have millions of people that follow just to see what cards they get. It's kind of like watching people gamble. Yeah, you like to do that. Yeah, I do. Because, like, I have no skin in the game, but I like the tension of watching people win and lose. It's like Kakiguri. Yeah. All right, let's have some ASMR. Oh, some shuffling. Ooh, that looked good on the audio waveform. Yeah. Yeah. That's my favorite. L is a pro shuffler. <laughs> I shuffle so much. And like all of my clients get really embarrassed because they're like, I can't shuffle. And I'm like, well, I get paid to shuffle. So the only people that I can think of that shuffle better than L. So there's like L and then above that are pit bosses. <laughs> yeah. And then right above that are magicians. Yeah. Like stage magicians. <laughs> That's true. Uh, one of my boyfriends wants me to learn how to do some special special shuffling thing. I don't know. I'm like, I'm not sure about that. Um, I think it's like a specific way to like lay out lay out the cards and like Was form, it an form S? them back together in your hand yeah, or something I don't know. like that. And it's it's fairly simple, but it looks really hard. Yeah, I like. I'm sure I could learn how to. Do the things. I'm not sure. I just kind of. Uh, who is this reading for? Um, so this reading is going to be. I keep wanting to say for Jennifer, but I think I want to do it for other listener. Yeah, that's what I'm going to do. Kay. Oh, uh, the person who sent us that fan mail. Yeah. So if you send us fan mail, you probably are going to get a free reading. Just so you guys know. So send me nice things. Yeah. Um, send us mean things and we will rip you apart episode after episode. Yeah. You're just going to be the butt of our jokes <laughs> forever. Um, like, you can, but the, uh, you will just have to live with the consequences. So. Yeah. You can You can do whatever. I just, you know, um, if you wanted to be spoken and written about kindly you would have treated me better so choices um okay so this is going to be for for kelsey who is incredible and her and her husband listen to our show and her friend listens to our show too wouldn't it be ironic if kelsey referred her friend who's the one that's really mad about the show to us oh that would be great it would be so good anyway so kelsey um let's see She's wondering what the best way to handle the relationship with her in-laws is. Ooh. Cool. Yeah, I was like, I think I want to do that. So I think what I will do is I'm going to do just a spread for her. Let me... Okay, so before we do 
the reading, um, there's a card. Inside the Toth Tarot deck? Inside the Toth Tarot deck, there's a card. It says, Ordo Templi Orientis. Uh, yeah, OTO. The tarot is a pictorial representation of the forces of nature, as conceived by the ancients according to conventional symbolism. Uh-huh. At first sight, one would suppose this arrangement to be arbitrary, but it is not. It is necessitated by the structure of the universe, and in particular, the solar system, as symbolized by the Holy Kabbalah. Aleister Crowley. Ordo. Templi. Orientis International Headquarters, P.O. Box 684098, Austin, Texas. Man, so there you go. But that, <laughs> that, that whole, like, this is a gambling epidemic <laughs> card game thing, though. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's, that's my favorite. That's my favorite thing is all these, like, <laughs> this is connected to this mysticism. This is connected to this mysticism. Like, and it's like, it's just fucking gambling, bro. Like, yeah, he, he, like this, there is absolutely meaning here. But I think everybody is saying the meaning is coming from a different place. So I, before we do this reading, I want you to look at one of these cards and I want you to tell me what you see in the cards using your religious background. Oh, totally. Let's see. You know, I actually did four years of seminary. So let's see. The lovers. Okay. So this is a corn. It looks like a royal marriage. There's a king and a queen. Uh, there are two cherubs. Um a dark-skinned cherub and a pasty white porcelain cherub. Um, and they're, like, toasting each other. Above them, though, appears to be some kind of... He almost looks like Odin. Uh, like, long white beard, dark cloak, don't see his eyes. Um, and he is, like, waving his hands over them as if blessing or tying them together with his cloak that is like swooshing probably over a hand fasting ceremony is what it's depicting ah that makes sense um yeah so this looks like a uh and then you also have eros with his bow and arrow at the very top so this looks like a divinely uh divinely connected relationship like a, div- a divinely inspired relationship like um, maybe like a Mary and Joseph is a divinely inspired relationship or of course the relationships between kings and queens in medieval times do you want to tell the listeners about Cain yeah so uh, the the myth slash theology of Cain uh, in the Garden of Eden uh, Cain was Adam and Eve's one of Adam and Eve's first sons uh, and there was also another one of their sons, Abel. And Cain is tempted by a serpent to uh, basically kill Abel because God accepted Abel's uh, sacrifice, but did not accept Cain's sacrifice. So Cain became jealous. And so the serpent was like, let me teach you about this cool thing. We called it murder. Um, and this Red is a thing rum. you can do. Yeah, this is a thing you can do. Take this rock and go bibbity bash, and then he dead. Uh, so Cain is considered the first murderer and the first real sinner in the in the Bible. And there's also the very problematic, very racist narrative that was all over the antebellum South and was incorporated into Mormonism, and that is the idea that 
people who have dark skin are descended of Cain because God the cursed, mark of Cain. cursed Cain with dark skin for his sin. And there's also the fun Mormon myth of Bigfoot being Cain because God cursed Cain to walk the earth and never die and only suffer. Uh, and so it is believed that um, Bigfoot is Cain by certain, like, uh, apocryphal Mormon accounts and journals, which that's a whole other thing. But. Okay, so the main thing that I wanted to talk about was the fact that it is a – there are four people on this card that are actual people, and two of them are black and two of them are white. Mm. And the black child represents Cain oh. in this telling. So, they're, they're, so it's super fucking racist. Yeah, they're going into that, that like, antebellum, like, racist – Bullshit. Bullshit. So that was just the important thing is that I wanted to say, like, in describing the lovers, of course, it's going to look and sound like we're talking about a romantic relationship. But actually, we're talking about the relationship that exists between Cain and Abel and actually the relationship that exists between ourselves of like the good and the bad, the light and the dark, the shadow and the light, all of that stuff, like whatever the fuck people call it. It's really talking about the internal struggle that we experience. Mm. So it can talk about lovers that can talk about that kind of relationship i mean eros is on the card uh cupid Mm -hmm. and so then if you think about i guess the symbolism of cupid what does cupid do uh he enchants yeah he enchants people to he basically connects their fate yeah and it's not yeah, not always a positive thing because it's love spells. So, yes. So um, the cards that I dealt out, which I just put out a little spread, and this is just how I always read tarot. So I do four, three, four. I took a picture of it. Um, and this is for the question of how you should go about handling things with your in-laws. So the first thing that I want to say is y'all heard me shuffle a metric fuck ton. And I still ended up with... Four, five, six, seven, eight, nine out of 11 cards being Major Arcana cards. So what happens with that or what that means in a tarot reading is that Major Arcana um, obviously talk about greater things. They talk about universal truth. They talk about universal knowledge. They talk about our space within or our place within that space. So when we get a lot of Major Arcana cards, we're talking about things that we can't control, things that are out of our control. Minor Arcana are talking about specific areas of life and then things we can do inside of that. So Minor Arcana are like mundane things that you can actively affect versus major arcana are things that you cannot affect. So a lot of the things that are happening in your life just off the bat and everything with your in-laws really has to do with, um, I would say karma, I would say divine timing, I would say all of this stuff is divinely led to be that way. And I do get the sense that there's past life connections and past life karma here, which is why that relationship is so intense. And um, we're going to start just with the first card, which is the lust card, card number nine in the major arcana. And this card is reversed, which means that it's upside down. And it's talking about letting go of old ghosts. So this is you needing to let go of things that you believe to be true about yourself, or believe to be true about them. There's a little bit of this idea of allowing things to change and allowing space for them to change. Um, I feel like there's parts of this relationship and um, parts of them, like their personalities, the things that they think and believe, that that's shifting, but that you're so caught up in like, I dislike these people, I dislike this relationship, that you're not really acknowledging or accepting that they are changing. So there are some shifts that's going on and it's calling you to let go of the things that you believed 
to be true and kind of like give them a clean slate and then let them show you (laughs) what they're capable of, both good and bad. I'm not saying that you need to forgive them, just that you need to allow space for them to change so that relationship can change. Then we move to the lovers. And I think that this is the big thing for you in this entire reading is that you're really being presented with... um, kind of your shadow self with needing to address the things that kind of pull you down, needing to address the things that are not always the most positive light or looking at things the most positive light. But I think that your in-laws really cause that, that they really kind of bring out the things you hate the most about yourself. And that's why that relationship is so hard because they're kind of holding a mirror up to yourself and saying like, is this the person you want to be? Which is probably why this relationship is karmic because it is one of those things that challenges you to move beyond your perception of yourself and not only allow space for them to change, but allow space for yourself to change as well. Then we have the chariot which is about movement. Um, So I think that things are actively changing. The next card we have is the Four of Swords, which is the truce card in this deck. So, (laughs) you know, drawing a truce, finding space for that to kind of resolve itself. Moving into the second row, we start with the moon. And the moon is all about our divine feminine. It's about magic. It's about the things that we can create. It's symbolized at the very bottom with a spider, which is the creative energy and the creator energy and magic energy weaving the life that you want to have. So getting more in touch with your magic, I would say doing some... um, Spells for peace, spells to get along, spells to smooth things over would be very appropriate right now. And the next card we have, which is the center of the entire spread, is the Princess of Discs, which is representing you. So in the Toth Tarot, there's the prince and the princess, as well as the knight, as well as king and queen. So there's just a metric fuck ton of cards in the Toth. More face cards in the pips. Yep, exactly. So the Princess of Discs is representing you in this situation. And this is, I think, kind of hard because in the perspective of your in-laws or kind of your perspective of how they view you is that they look at you as being immature, being someone who's like younger or that you have a younger perspective or an immature approach to that relationship, which I think is really hard, like that they make you feel like a child instead of making you feel like an adult. And I think that's the biggest thing that you're kind of grappling with or that you're feeling that tension coming from is feeling like you're not allowed to be an adult or that they have this expectation that you're not an adult and therefore unable to make choices. But um the disc's uh, suit is about being grounded. It's about focusing on um, the things that you can affect and control. It's about focusing on money, um, security, wealth, that kind of stuff. So if you can focus more on groundedness, on the things that you can bring to that relationship instead of the immaturity that you have or instead of feeling like you're never going to be an adult to them, start focusing on like, well, I have a job. Well, I can afford the house that we live in. Well, I can provide for myself. So fuck you. Like that kind of a thing where you're more focused on the things you do bring to the table instead of focusing on the things that you don't bring to the table. Um, Then we have the star, which is an outpouring of abundance and good things, especially in this deck. Uh, The star is really great. And I love that you have the star and the moon because it's kind of showing me this darker side of things or the more mystical, magical side of things, which I think that if you can find a way to combine mystical, magical self and that ability and power that you have with that more grounded self, you're going to find a lot of space for um, some incredible stuff to come through. So, um, so far, I would say the biggest thing and the best, best way to handle this relationship is to allow there to be space for both of you to change, kind of give them a clean slate, hope that they can give you a clean slate, and then you kind of proving to yourself that you deserve to be in that family, that you deserve to be respected, and that you deserve good things and that you're kind of sticking around. I would say that's another part of this is them kind of being like 
maybe she won't last and we can just kind of wait her out. And you kind of have to be like, nope, not happening. I'm here. So figure out how this is going to work. Um, moving on from that, we go from the star to the universe, which is also the world card. So there's a little bit of an idea of like things shifting and changing. Remember the world card or the universe card is being in the womb waiting to be reborn to kind of start a new era. And I feel like that's a really big part of this is the starting of a new era in that relationship. Then we have the hermit card, the hermit reversed. Um, It's time to be a little bit more external about what you're wanting and thinking and feeling. It's time to be more extroverted. It's time to really start trying to build those relationships, trying to build those friendships, being more outspoken when they say something that's like shitty and offensive to you being like, hey, not cool. Don't say that to me. Don't speak to me in that way. Not going to happen. And the more that you assert those boundaries, the more they're like, oh, this is an adult. This is someone who has thoughts and feelings and opinions and has the ability to speak out for herself. The next card we have is the devil, (laughs) which I think is encouraging you to not feel trapped, to not get kind of stuck in the way that they're viewing you and to not give into the temptation of being like, yeah, I am a terrible person. So fuck you. Let me prove all of this. And like not rising, I guess, rising to that call or not feeling like I'm going to live up to this expectation, this shitty expectation my in-laws have set for me. And instead, I'm going to try to focus on the good things. The final card that we have is the art card which is about magic and about making the things that you want to happen. So with all of this, do some magic to make things easier, to smooth that relationship, to give you both both sides of this a fresh start, and then allow yourself the opportunity and space to grow and acknowledge that they have that opportunity as well and that things are changing and shifting. And I think that you'll see a lot of movement just in how they're viewing you because I would say the perspective that both of you or both sides of the coin have – where they kind of view you in this perspective, you kind of view them in that perspective, that's not really helpful. So if you can break down those barriers and those perspectives and allow both of you to kind of uh, get to know each other again or reinvent that relationship, you're going to find that there's a lot of common ground that you didn't recognize before. Okay. Okay. Do you want to compare the Toth reading with your favorite tarot deck and see if it says similar things oh i thought i was just going to do different readings for different people i have like three readings yeah yeah, let's do the other person let's use your favorite tarot deck and this is the deck you would use in like if somebody bought a reading yeah so this is like the deck that i'm going to use is called the after tarot which is i call it the after tarot because i think it makes more sense when i say that than the after tarot that doesn't sound as good tarot after tarot um so this the (laughs) idea of this is that the artwork in this deck was um i guess depicts the moment after the original rider weight smith deck so um it's very very similar symbolism and imagery as the original but it's just like the next scene yeah so The idea of this deck is that um, the Rider-Waite-Smith has been kind of frozen in time, that that's kind of the perspective and everything that we understand and believe. So what if those characters were allowed to advance? What would it become? Because tarot is about the future and all of the pictures and depictions in the original decks were just a moment frozen in time. So these are a lot more like action-oriented, action site. Yeah, they definitely do have a lot more movement and are less static, even though I love Patti Smith's illustrations. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, those definitely have a lot more movement and are in uh, the same style. 
Yeah, so the, like, artwork is the same. Tonally, they, like, tone down the colors so they're not as bright, Mm -hmm. which I think makes them look a little bit more serious. But now they're kind of, like, showing a little bit more action-oriented. I just, I don't know, I just really like this deck. I kind of found it probably four years ago um, at a shop in San Diego when I was on a vacation with my father, and I've just been using it since then. So, yeah, this is kind of my my go-to deck that I love. Um, this reading is for Jennifer, who's a Patreon subscriber, and I'm going to do this differently. So I'm not doing a spread for her today. Instead, I'm going to pull cards to answer her questions. I'm going to pull five cards for each question that she asked. So her question, um, her specific question is, what do I need to focus on for optimal physical and mental health? Okay. That's yeah, it's a good question. good question. That's a great question to ask. Okay, we're gonna have a bunch of cards come out together. This deck is a little bit beat up. <laughs> Admittedly. It, well, it, it looks well loved, it which does, was my yeah. intention with having you choose the one that you like the most. Okay, so we drew the Empress, the Nine of Wands, the Strength card, the Four of Wands, and then the Lovers Reversed. So um, that Lovers Reversed is kind of drawing me, again, back to the conversation we've had about the Lovers, which is about being, you know, kind of at odds with yourself, of feeling like um, you're this other that you're trying to corral, or that you're kind of like, I feel like your body is like one version of you, and then your spirit and soul is like another, and your soul's like, okay, body, fucking figure it out. Alrighty, just kind of do that. So there's this tension or this like not quite meshing. And I know that you know that. I know that this is the thing that we've talked about <laughs> ad nauseum. But um that idea of kind of being at odds with yourself. And I also feel like the more shadow work you do, the easier it's gonna be. Because I think part of what's going on with your physical health right now is that it's a lot of this tension, a lot of this um it's like this this stuff that you haven't dealt with, the stuff you haven't processed, this emotional stuff, this mental stuff that's kind of rising to the surface that like I getting the this image of like a little fish that's like been at the bottom of the ocean that's like slowly coming up and the little bubbles are coming up ahead of him. I'm not sure exactly why that image, but it's reminding me that stuff's coming to the surface to be dealt with. So you're going to notice that the more you do shadow work, the less intense your physical and emotional health is going to be affected. Like the more you work through those things, the less your body will need to force you to work through those things or force you to pause. So if you can kind of figure out how to work in conjunction with that instead of feeling like you're constantly at odds or constantly trying to corral your body, the easier that's going to get. Um, from there, the Empress is all about nurturing. It's the mom card. She's the mother. She wants you to focus on that nurturing, focus on your healing. I'm being drawn to the water in the background of this card. So I think that a lot of water needs to be um, in your future. Specifically, there's um, there's a trip to a waterfall that needs to be taken. There's some waterfall that I think that you need to go to for Akashic Records purposes like you need to go to this body of water to recover something that you're missing that's going to kind of help click everything together that will help make a lot more sense i believe this is a past life in a way that you died like you died going over this waterfall or you drowned in the like body of water underneath the waterfall so going back there and kind of recovering that is going to help um 
bring everything together. And then that strength card is another one of those cards that's talking about working with your shadow self. So that shadow self feels like a really important piece that you've been maybe overlooking or not quite ready to handle and all of that. But from there, we have the nine of wands, which is the strife card. I love this deck because there's two people in the strife card. So it tells you that you're not alone in this, that it isn't just you that's um, kind of dealing with this battle and that you have help showing up to assist you in tackling that. So I feel like a new doctor, a new physician, a new wellness coach, something like that, like someone showing up to kind of help get you to the end of that journey. It's the nine. So we're almost at the end. The 10 is the only card left. So there's there is an idea of things kind of coming to an end and figuring out what needs to happen. The final card here is the four of wands and the four of wands is all about homecoming and it's about feeling at home. So it's like the more you feel at home in your body and the more your body feels like it's the right place for your soul to be, the easier it will be to be in your body. Very esoteric. Jennifer will understand that reading. I am not sure anyone else will. (laughs) Uh, she I had mean, one other question as well, but oh, okay, yeah. What were you gonna say? Well, I was I was gonna say like, isn't esoteric esotericism like the name of the game here? Well, yes, but I try to be the reader that like gives people tangible like this is a thing that you could do with this information, you know. Drink eight glasses of water a day. No, Jennifer, don't do that. I mean, yes, do that, but probably not. I don't think that's going to help too much. It's more about the energy work and shadow self and feeling at home in your body. Um, Hydrate or dihydrate? Yeah, you should not be talking about that. RJ does not drink anything but monsters. (laughs) And is like, I don't feel good. I'm like, how much water have you had? Oh, I had some on Tuesday. Like... (laughs) Um, So then Jennifer's other question was what she just needs to know the most right now. And I'm going to do this so she gets it when the episode comes out. Okay. Like what she'll need to know at that point. Like a week from now. Yeah, like a week from now when it gets released. Okay. You have a lot of Major Arcana too, Jennifer. Oh, oh, nightmare oh, swords. Oh no, the nightmare swords, man. Um, okay, so we have the chariot, the four of wands reversed, the high priestess, the page of wands reversed, and then the nightmare swords, the knight of swords. So that nightmare card, that anxiety is basically affirming me that whatever you're being anxious about is not just anxiety, but is a thing that is happening. So whatever that is that you kind of keep ruminating or whatever kind of keeps tripping you up that kind of won't leave you alone, um, just want to confirm that that is a real fear. That is something that your psychic and intuition is picking up on that hasn't come to fruition yet. So whatever you feel like you need to do to prepare for that situation, whatever that is, whatever inklings you have, if that's magic, if that's clearing, if that's like getting ahead of the game, whatever that looks like, very important to do that. Um, From there, the high priestess, you know exactly what you need to do. Listen to your truth. Listen to that inner voice that's kind of leading you and guiding you right now. You're very, very close and very in tune with your higher self and with your guides right now. So it's really important to listen to and respect that bond. That chariot, um, there is that anxiety or push to move forward, but you need to go back to the drawing board and figure out what your plans are. There's just this like disconnect between forward movement and... um, not having a plan for how that forward movement would happen. For people who don't know the tarot, the chariot card depicts a man in a chariot with these two beasts in front of him. They're sphinxes. Um, yeah, they're sphinxes, they're beasts, they're lions with women's breasts and women's heads. 
Anyway, um, there's nothing that connects the chariot to the sphinxes. So there's like this guy's like, yeah, we're going to go forward, but there's no way to move forward. So when you get the chariot card, it's forward movement, but you have to have a plan to make the chariot go. You got to go get the reins to make it happen. Um, then the next two cards we have are the four of wands reversed and then the page of wands reversed. So that four of wands is making me, uh, there's, um, there's some questions about home life changing and what home means changing. So I feel like there might be some shifts going on with living situation with people living with you or not um, and kind of having some more information come about that. But it feels a little bit sneaky. It feels a little underhanded. It feels like we're not being totally honest about the whole situation. So just be aware that there's some it doesn't feel like bad to me, but it feels like we're not saying the whole truth about living situation stuff. So be aware of that. And then that page of wands feeling like, um, you're kind of needing a direction to point yourself or that you're needing something to feel like you're feeling you're fulfilling this bigger purpose. So make sure you kind of have your eye open for that. And I know that you're feeling a little bit listless or you're feeling like you don't have a lot of stuff that you're putting your energy towards right now, but all of that is clearing up. And so it's kind of like, let's get the home stuff out of the way. Let's get this anxiety thing that you're feeling, whatever that is, whatever your intuition is like, mm, something doesn't feel right. Whatever those two situations are, let's get those cleared up and then we can focus more specifically and having um, that forward movement and that path with that high priestess in the chariot. So it's like there's a few things that are kind of shaking out and getting sorted out right now energetically that's kind of affecting what you're able to understand and pick up, but that let that kind of blow through, let that pass. I, th I would say give it two weeks and then you'll have a lot more clear direction on where you're heading. Okay. Okay. I hope those were good readings for y'all. They seem very thorough. I mean, this is obviously like one of Elle's specialties. So I'm certain that these are going to be higher quality readings than, you know, like um, reading some random fucking ashes or some mistletoe smoke. Some penis yeah, cards. Yeah, some penis cards, you know. So, <laughs> so I'm glad that these uh, will be more in line with what you would get if you were to Yeah, order if you got an actual from reading from me. Yeah. yeah. And, and these were very quick readings, but good nonetheless. <laughs> um, so hit us up on Patreon and Elle will do a reading for you on the show using whatever divination method we're covering patreon.com slash mancy you can also just like follow our Patreon and not give us money if you don't have money yeah and you, can you can get see updates free posts that we've made and we're also working on episode transcripts mm -hmm. uh, for people who are deaf or hard of hearing that won't be able to hear the podcast they'll be able to read the transcript uh, and that's kind of Elle's project yeah, that's what I'm working on. It's a lot, but we're gonna we're gonna get there. Yeah. Um, if you like the show, please share with your friends. The more support we have, the more episodes we can make. And if you like my writing, you can pick up books at rjwalkerpoet.com. If you want a reading from me, you can find me on my Etsy, which is Laurels of Lux. I'm also on all of the social media sites as Laurels of Lux. We also just barely got our Mansi social media up, and you can find us at Mansi Pod on everything pretty much and if you want to join the the group we just made a group called uh mancy podcast memes for stancy podcast teens uh where we're gonna post occult memes and like weird content and random weird stuff that we come across it's and you just, guys can just can, sit and talk yeah, about us in the group and you can contribute <laughs> and like dump your own weird magic stuff you're doing at yeah home, uh or whatever spooky weird things you want to talk about or make fun of like we're all 
uh, going to be there in the in the group to dick, yeah. Dick so around. come find us in the group. Share our podcast. That's the best way that you guys can help us. Is tell your friends to listen to us. And yeah, we appreciate you guys. The music was provided by, in order of appearance, Hayden Fulker, Arthi Vinka, Miyu, and Scott Buckley. <laughs>